What an opening weekend it was to the NFL season after a gutty performance against the Green Bay Packers defense. Jameis Winston should be viewed as an early comeback player of the year candidate. In New York, it's time for the Giants to finally accept the fact that they have a Daniel Jones problem on their hands. Who thought the Houston Texans would go 0-17? I know I didn't. I'll tell you why they deserve credit next on Stern Spotlight. Last weekend was a perfect start to the NFL season. How about them fans, too? So nice to finally see people cheering at NFL games again. It was great to have football last year during the pandemic, but it just felt like the game was missing something without the rally towels and people yelling and sold-out crowds and things of that nature. So it's great to see spectators back in attendance again. First few weeks of the NFL season are always weird in the sense that all teams are still trying to find their identity. And because of that, I try to withhold judgment until, say, week three or four or so. But because I'm in the business of overreacting, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And with some of these teams, you can really tell the direction they're heading in, and I feel comfortable coming to at least some sort of conclusion about what their season's going to look like. And today, I begin with the New York Giants, where it's time for that team to admit they finally have a quarterback problem. Daniel Jones ain't it. I feel comfortable saying that even after week one of the season. The guy's not progressing. He's not showing anything to instill belief that he should be the quarterback going forward. When the Giants took Daniel Jones in 2019, sixth overall out of Duke, we knew there was going to be a learning curve and an adjustment period. It wasn't expected that he would have instant success. And a lot of fans were upset with the pick as well. They thought that the team should have taken Dwayne Haskins, which could have easily ended up backfiring as well. That quarterback class, aside from uh, Kyler Murray, hasn't really panned out. Drew Locke was the quarterback taken after Haskins, and he's been benched in favor of Teddy Bridgewater, who tore the Giants' defense up on Sunday. So... You can't really look back and say that they should have taken another quarterback in that class. But what you can do is come to the conclusion that it's time for the Giants to start thinking about their future and who the next quarterback of the team is going to be. The first reason I say Daniel Jones can't be the quarterback going forward is he's been an extreme liability with the football. I don't know if he needs to go across town and ask Yankees pitcher Garrett Cole for some spider tech or anything, or something like that. Maybe he could stick some glue on his hands. But you can't fumble the ball that much, man. He's played 28 games with the team and had 30 fumbles. Ball security, hello? You can't do that. Turnovers are the single biggest thing that drag an offense down. And when you have Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard, and Kadarius Toney, who, by the way, didn't even see the ball once Sunday somehow. You can't fumble the ball away that much. But given that he's the former sixth overall pick, the team and fans and media members are inclined to give him endless rope, an endless opportunity to turn things around and prove himself. And we've cherry-picked the bad traits out of his game and tried to put them out of our mind. We've said he has a big arm, He's mobile back there. He can get into a rhythm pretty easily and 
lead the offense down the field when everything happens to go right. But at this point, I don't know how much more leeway you have to give the guy. He's in year three. This is, an, this is the NFL we're talking about now. This is a million dollar, multi-million dollar business. You can't just give guys endless opportunities and wait for them to develop. Eventually, there comes a point in time where you have to start viewing the glasses half empty and realizing that this guy is what he is. You can only coach him so much. Instincts can't be taught in this game. I know he's played behind a horrible offensive line throughout his career in New York. And this year, it's not that much better. Yes, that's part of the reason he struggled. But when you go back and you look at some of those sacks on Sunday and see how much time he had to get rid of the football, some of the blame has to start falling on his shoulders. You can't keep making excuses with the guy. And if it becomes clear that this team can't win football games with him and he is the sole reason that they are losing, which he's not the sole reason they lost Sunday, but he certainly played a big role in it. But if this continues, he can't be the guy going forward. And you need to start evaluating this year's draft class potentially, looking at external options, maybe some veterans on the free agent market. Or maybe you do something to try to light a fire under him. Look at what the Eagles that lit did last year with Carson Wentz. They benched him for a while. Now, he never returned to the field, but if you want to mirror that strategy and try that approach, maybe it works. Or they can send him on a bi-week vacation, send him to Hawaii, do anything you need to do to try to fix Daniel Jones. Because at this point, the honeymoon's over. Maybe mutually parting ways is the best option for both sides. Playing in New York's tough. Jones is already on his second head coach in three seasons in the league. And on some level, that front office has let him down by not building him a sufficient offensive line. Speaking of guys who have benefited from a change of scenery, how about Jameis Winston, eh? Five touchdown passes against the Green Bay Packers in week one. Early on, he looks like he could be a candidate for the Comeback Player of the Year award. And in Tampa Bay... He was in a similar situation as Daniel Jones. Struggled with turnovers, more so interceptions than fumbles, but had difficulty protecting the football there. And that was the biggest reason they decided to go out and seek an upgrade at the quarterback position. Anytime you have the opportunity to put Tom Brady on your roster, you're going to take it. But Jameis was having issues in Tampa Bay. And when he was taken first overall, by the Buccaneers. Something I think a lot of people forgot about is that he went to college right up the street in Tallahassee. And although he was a transcendent talent and a generational type of player, he had a number of issues off the field, whether it be the sexual assault allegations that went against him or the episode where he got up on the tables on campus and started yelling inappropriate remarks. He never really grew up in Tallahassee where you see a lot of college quarterbacks and other college players, for that matter, mature over the course of their career to a point where they're ready to enter the NFL upon graduation, mentally, Winston never reached that point. And I think because of that, playing for an NFL team that was so close to where he went to college overall hurt his long-term development, not just on the field, but off of it as well. 
and getting to grow out of that version of himself, establishing a new personality and building a different reputation somewhere else has gone a long way in rejuvenating Winston's career. See, on the field, there was never a question about Jameis's talent. One rookie of the year in his first season in the league threw for 33 touchdowns and 5,100 yards in 2019. Now, he also threw 30 interceptions and was inaccurate at times. Certainly cost the Buccaneers games. But the upside and the potential and the skills to succeed in the NFL, teams saw that. And that's why he was able to get a second opportunity with the New Orleans Saints. And if Sean Payton has proven anything in the past, it's that he is the perfect guy to rehabilitate quarterbacks who have fallen out of favor elsewhere. Just look at what he did with Drew Brees. He was, he was written off for done with the then San Diego Chargers. And all of a sudden, Peyton makes him into a Hall of Famer and a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Now, I'm not saying the same thing will happen with Jameis, but the, if there was ever a man for this job, it is Sean Payton. He understands how to play to a guy's skill set, is great at dealing with quarterbacks in the locker room, and is an excellent motivator on and off the field. So he's in perfect hands in New Orleans in the perfect situation to reestablish himself. But beyond that, another reason he's more likely to succeed in New Orleans than he was in Tampa is his supporting cast. Sure, he had a great receiver in Mike Evans, but in New Orleans, he has the best back in the league lining up behind him. Alva Kamara is the type of running back who can completely take pressure off their quarterback's shoulders. We saw it when Breeze was playing with him. It's a guy who can carry the ball out of the backfield, can line up as a receiver, and serve as an outlet on these short routes. And you feel less inclined to throw the ball into tight windows and take risks when you have a player who's that explosive that can turn around the game in one play. Jameis is also really well protected up front. He has Taron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek as his two tackles. And then he also has Marquez Callaway and Deontay Harris, who looks like he's growing into a more traditional wide receiver role as his two main targets. That's a nice supporting cast for Jameis to really grow with in New Orleans, and I think you could finally see him reach his full potential with the Saints because of how well-equipped he is for success this season. And just like everybody was writing Jameis Winston off, saying his career was over, fans wanted to label the Houston Texans as the lovable losers of 2021. It had been a tumultuous offseason for this team, to say the least. Got a new GM in Nick Casario, got rid of J.J. Watt, We all know what's going on with Deshaun Watson right now, engaged in this massive legal dispute. No one really knows when he's going to see the field. First-time head coach in David Culley, who spent his career as a position coach in the league. Adding insult to injury, the only two quarterbacks on that team's roster are veteran Tyrod Taylor and rookie third-round pick Davis Mills. I think even the most hardcore NFL fans would have difficulty naming three players on that team. That's how much of an unknown they are. Everyone was saying that they would go 0-17, that they're a horrible team, that we could set the bar low, that they'd have all types of 
embarrassing moments that went viral on the internet. But it seemed like the one thing people forgot about was that games aren't played on paper and their opponents have to show up every week. Also, while people were distracted with everything else going on with this organization, they quietly constructed a pretty darn good roster. Brandon Cooks and Chris Conley are their starting receivers. You have the three-headed monster of Mark Ingram, David Johnson, and Philip Lindsay running the ball in the backfield. That's enough to wear down an NFL defense. Desmond King and Terrence Mitchell are your starting corners as well. Good playmakers on the back end of the defense. So as much as we wanted to write Houston off and say they were going to be horrible, realistically, they have a pretty talented team. And as we learned Sunday, the AFC South is nothing to write home about. The Tennessee Titans and Indianapolis Colts underwhelmed out of the gate. Not saying they won't turn it around eventually, but they don't look like they're going to be powerhouses in the division or anything like that. Jacksonville might be even more of a disaster than the Texans. With Urban Meyer struggling to control the locker room, and Trevor Lawrence is the rookie quarterback there, and not a whole lot of talent on the roster, maybe we were just pointing the finger and laughing at the wrong team. To set the record straight here, I'm not saying the Houston Texans will win the Super Bowl. I'm not even predicting they'll make the playoffs. But I think they could surprise a lot of people and potentially finish above 500 in a weak division and give us things that we think they can build on for seasons to come. Perhaps Mr. Coolio Cully was the right hire for the team all along, and we just wanted to get down on the decision because of everything else that was going on. He could be a really good head coach in this league. Look what he did with Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown in Baltimore. He certainly seems to be doing a better job of commanding the locker room than his rival in Jacksonville. And throughout his career, Tyrod Taylor has been the type of person that people want to be friends with benefits with, but don't actually want to commit to a serious relationship. In Cleveland, he had Baker Mayfield looking over his shoulder. Last year with the Chargers, it was inevitable that Justin Herbert was going to take over at some point. Now he has a true shot to win the job in Houston, and this may be the perfect fit for him. If Deshaun Watson does return at some point this season, that also flips the script. They could be instant contenders with a proven commodity at the game's most important position. Obviously, you don't bank on something like that happening, but it does remain a possibility. We'd be dishonest with ourselves if we wrote off the Houston Texans this season. So let's just sit back and see what happens here. Usually after the first week of football season, all we want to talk about is the NFL. But one of the biggest storylines in all of sports this week comes out of the college football world where the USC Trojans fired head coach Clay Helton. This was a long time coming and Helton's been a dead man walking since he was named interim head coach back in 2015. You always knew the USC faithful were going to seek a big name upgrade. The list of possible replacements is full of big name types of guys too. You have James Franklin, the current Penn State head coach who is rumored to potentially be interested in wanting to take over at USC. Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is another option. So is current Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal, who's planted a flag in and taken over the fertile recruiting grounds in Southern California. 
Regardless of who athletic director Mike Bond decides to go with, you know they're going to be getting an upgrade on paper. But at the end of the day, Clay Helton was a guy that was never really given a fair shot at USC. In six seasons with the program, Helton went 46-24, and which included three Pac-12 South titles and a victory over Penn State in the Rose Bowl. Now, I know he hasn't been able to get them over the hump, and USC hasn't returned to their glory days back when, you know, a guy named Pete Carroll was roaming the sidelines. Reaching a college football playoff was something that the program never accomplished with Helton at the helm, but who else in the Pac-12 was reaching the playoffs? This is a conference that has struggled on a national level, and setting the bar at being a top-four team in the country was never realistic. I know the Trojans had Sam Darnold at quarterback during their best period with Helton as head coach. But when you look at the struggles this program has had defensively and the amount of turnover they've had on that side of the ball and the number of position coaches who have left over the years, they overachieved. Clay Helton has to be the only coach in the sport who finished 22 games above 500 and still lost his job. He deserves some of the blame for the poor recruiting and the fact that they're no longer able to take guys from the backyard. But at the end of the day, in the Pac-12, you don't need top recruits to succeed. Look at what Utah's done with Kyle Whittingham. Look at what Washington did with Chris Peterson. Both Peterson and Whittingham built a reputation as two of the best coaches in college football by finding diamonds in the rough, recruiting guys that were a good fit for their program, and finding ways to unleash their potential. So although Helton wasn't exactly the top recruiter in the country, why don't you judge him by the results? In last year's pandemic-shortened season, the Trojans went 5-0 and during the regular season. There was no way the program could fire him after the way the team performed, That's the only reason he lasted into the season in the first place. And then you fire him two games in after one bad performance? Come on now, every coach on planet Earth has had a bad game. And with Helton, he rarely had any bad games. He was great with that team. And sure, losing to a Stanford team that was blown out by Kansas State in the week before is enough to sound alarms but give them a little bit more time. Now these kids have to play 10 more regular season games with an interim head coach. They don't know what the long-term future holds. How is that good for a recruiting pitch, guys? And we talked about a honeymoon period with Daniel Jones and the New York Giants earlier in the show. If I'm a candidate interviewing for that head coaching job, my first question to management would be, how much time do I get? Because if they're expecting instant results without my recruits and my stamp of approval on the program, well, then they're just not being fair. This is a USC program that hasn't been on the national map in a while. You're not exactly Alabama here. All I can hope is that Clay Helton is given a fair shot at his next coaching destination. I don't know if it's going to be as a head coach Maybe he needs to go to Nick Saban's School of Coaching Rehabilitation in Tuscaloosa. 
Or perhaps he gets a coordinator position somewhere else. But no matter what, he should be allowed to be objectively evaluated based on performance and based on production as opposed to unrealistic expectations and what a program once was. By most standards, taking over a program that was already in flux after former head coach Steve Sarkeesian abruptly stepped down in 2015 and enjoying massive success in the conference would be enough to keep their job. Unfortunately, though, for Clay Helton, it just wasn't. That's all I have for this edition of Stern Spotlight. Always great to be talking NFL again with some college football sprinkled in as well. I look forward to shining my spotlight around again on the next episode.